Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode, I sit down with my good friend Joseph and my sister Elizabeth. The three of us are have been passionate about something called the Enneagram for many years now. We've carried on this long text conversation all about the Enneagram. We listen to the same podcast related to it. We read the same books. It's been a fun form of conversation. Uh, But as you'll learn, the Enneagram is this powerful tool for better understanding ourselves and better understanding the people that we encounter in the world. It's a tool with some ancient Christian roots, but also just something that's very practical for helping us better understand uh, who we are and how we can live and move in the world. Uh, Elizabeth and Joseph and I spend a long time talking about it. It was a ton of fun. I really hope that you enjoy it. By all means, please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or if you want to learn more. I have so many resources that I could share with you. Also, for the people here at Bethany Lutheran Church, I'm hoping uh, to lead a growth group on this exact topic uh, this fall. So more details on that to come. But for now, here's a conversation with my friend Joseph, my sister Elizabeth, about the Enneagram personality typing system. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I am on the line with my good friend, Joseph Lorenz, and my sister, who's no stranger to the podcast, Elizabeth Preisinger. And the three of us are going to sit down today to talk about something called the Enneagram. And this is, I don't even want to say too much about what it is exactly. It's kind of a personality typing system, but it's a little more robust than that. Uh, But Joseph and Elizabeth and I uh, really love (laughs) this particular Um, way of understanding people and understanding ourselves and have found it extremely helpful for our lives. So that's why I brought them on. We've actually been carrying on a text conversation for about five years, specifically on the topic of the Enneagram and our numbers, um, as well as some other topics like Harry Potter. But this isn't a Harry Potter podcast. We'll do that in a future time. Uh, Joseph and Elizabeth, you're on the line. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Joseph, tell us a little bit more about where you're at, what you're doing, and what we should know about you. All right. Um, I'm Joseph. I I live in Buffalo, New York. I'm a school counselor at a high school here. And um, I'm an avid gardener lately. And that's about it for me. As Nate said, I also love Harry Potter and the Enneagram. (laughs) And Joseph and I have known each other since the days of summer camp. We met at summer camp. When would that have been? 2002? Three. Maybe. Yeah. 2003, yeah. something like that. Yep. We go back. Yep. And, and then... they actually first introduced me to the Enneagram back then. That's and true. <laughs> yeah. That's I forgot crazy. about that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, That's really that funny. Before we were obsessed though. <laughs> That's true. It was just kind of like a little thing that, what was her name? Pastor Marie? Pastor Mary? I can't remember. It was more her thing than my thing. Anyways, Elizabeth. <laughs> Um, you've been on the podcast before. What's new? What else do you want to tell the faithful listeners? Yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Um, I, as a reminder, I, my, I'm a social worker. I work at a retreat center in upstate New York, just north of New York City. Um, what's new? I just got married. So that was Very pretty good. exciting. It was great. What a day. <laughs> yeah. What a day. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to be here. And I've known Joseph 
Joseph and I met at the same summer camp a few years later, but then we became really close in college at St. Olaf College. We were in the same freshman dorm. So we've got a whole, whole little community here of Enneagram enthusiasts from all walks of life. Enneagram enthusiasts who went to summer camp and attended St. Olaf College. Um, it's pretty, pretty narrow in terms yeah, of... Yeah, when I say all walks of life, I uh, do not mean all walks of life. But that's okay. Oh, uh, me too. That's great. Uh, so let's... Um, Joseph, you printed, made this document, and I've actually... Probably some people listening have received this document from me before because I've talked about the Enneagram. And you have this great document that's all about like the general structure, you know, Enneagram basics. So I kind of wanted to turn to you um, just to tell us a little bit about what this is, this strange word, where it comes from, origin, stuff like that. And of course, Elizabeth, always add your uh, lovely color commentary, as I know you do. Yeah, so the Enneagram, um, it has some ancient traditions um, going back to the, the third century with the Desert Fathers, um, as well as some Sufi ethical trainings in the seventh century. But for us today, I think I just see it as a tool to get to know my, my underlying motivations and to start recognizing those motivations when I'm um, in any situation, interacting with others, or having some sort of emotional reaction to something. It's helpful to um, take a step back and use the Enneagram as a lens for, you know, where that uh, behavior or where that uh, motivation came from. Yeah. And so for some of our listeners, they might be familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality typing system. It's kind of like that, but we all collectively sort of turn our noses up at the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> um, Elizabeth, maybe you can say a little bit about that, about why you, um, what it is about this particular typing system, like how you found it useful. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's, um, so first backing up, one thing that's important to know about the Enneagram is, it, for those that don't know, there is a symbol associated with it. And I look at that symbol as really like a map because it tells you it shows you where you are in relation to other people, as well as where where you move when you're stressed and where you move when you're at ease. And correlated with that are your behaviors and emotions and moods that are related to those stress and at ease um, positions. And so this symbol is, it, it's like a visual map of, our movement through throughout the day when we have triggers when we have happy moments and sad moments it helps us to see where we're going catch those acts and then maybe self-correct those behaviors yeah and and the symbol you're talking about itself is this nine pointed star kind of thing uh which is where the word ennea comes from ennea means nine enneagram so there's nine personalities in this typing system but as you were just saying, Elizabeth, you don't really get put like just stuck at a single number because depending right. on what's going on in the world and your life around you, you might be acting more like another number on the system. Mm -hmm. You know, as you were saying, that's how the arrows kind of work, where you go when you're feeling stressed, uh, mm -hmm. how you act when you're at ease. And it all kind of works together in this real movement way. That's one of the things that I've really appreciated about it is that it's not just trying to put me into a box but it's kind of showing me, you know, it, it's very dynamic in that right. way in, in right. that there's a lot of movement and interchange 
Um, and yet in the same sense, I, every time I introduce people to it, they get a little freaked out because it, <laughs> it, it, it seems to be eerily accurate in terms of its ability to, <laughs> to speak about how people feel and how they're acting in the world. Um, you know, just kind of really narrowing in on some of the specifics of the personalities of folks. Uh, and, and that there's been a ton of work done on it for many years. And, and as Joseph alluded to as well, it, it has really ancient roots with some Christian mystics, with some individuals in the Sufi religion. And so it's hard to exactly tell where it came from, um, but it certainly has been very valuable tool uh, for a lot of people currently. I think the three of us included. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, going along with what you said about feeling like it, not wanting to feel like you're put in a box. Um, I like to look at the, I've, I've heard the metaphor of the personality types being like a color. So you could mm. see that something is blue, but, um, and identify it easily as blue, but it's a light blue. And then there's a dark blue that's also very easily identified as blue, but they look completely different from each other. So I think looking at the Enneagram like that, where you're not gonna feel like all type ones are the same or all type twos mm-hmm. are the same. There's, there's so much variation in the shading and the way, um, the way those different types behave and, and appear to others. Yeah. And it can be really interesting too, as you start to meet people who are familiar with the Enneagram and they start to disclose, you know, the number that they identify with. And it kind of throws you off because maybe they're really healthy people who are very grounded and self-actualized. And so you didn't even ever realize that they fell within this number. And then there's other times where it just seems blatantly obvious. And it's like, Oh, they're showing all the worst characteristics of this number. And I can tell exactly where they're coming from. Um, so- and that that's, that's an interesting point to highlight that, that it's so often that personality types get um, sort of stigmatized by their negative behaviors <laughs> and that yeah. and I really like the Enneagram to that in that it allows you to move out of that and to see the full spectrum of how we can be and um w- yeah where we can move in the world <clears throat> well and let's talk a little bit about our personal experience because I think that's one of the big the big pieces at least for me currently that I'm learning a lot when it comes to the Enneagram is that it's, it's meant to be very much for an individual um, and you can introduce other people to it, but it's, it's a tool for you to do your own work. And it, it can be, I think a lot of the, the teachers that we read or listen to podcasts to would all be in agreement that you're not really supposed to use the Enneagram as a tool to then identify and put all of your coworkers in a box um, so you can look down on them right. for their, <laughs> but, but it's a tool for you yourself to use to better understand that the, the terminology I've heard uh, associated with the Enneagram is it tells you what box you are in and how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because all mm-hmm. of our personality patterns have some weird stuff around the fringes, um, <laughs> things that we all need to be working on. And, and that's where I found it really helpful is just being able to, to see myself um, and to see parts of myself that maybe I didn't want to admit or that I wasn't fully <laughs> aware of. And then just try and work on, okay, how can I um, counteract some of that, move beyond some of it? Um, And and not even that, but also how can I, the the word I like to use is metabolize some of these pieces into my system so that they're not quite as gnarly, if that makes any (laughs) sense. Uh, But I'm kind of rambling here and this might be a little confusing for folks. So so Joseph, what, what is it about the Enneagram that you've found useful in your years working with it? Yeah, so... Um, thinking back to when 
I don't know, I was 15 and, and you first introduced me to the Enneagram. I think I took a, a quiz, which there are different quizzes you can take for the Enneagram to figure out what your type is. Um, it's definitely, there's no perfect quiz. Quizzes are not necessarily the best way to, to figure out your type, but you can take those, those assessments and see maybe what your top three results were and start reading up on those as a good place to start. And just keep reading until you find something that really clicks. But I think when I took that quiz back then, I got type seven, which is um, kind of like the adventurer type, um, avoiding pain and seeking pleasure type, um, looking to have their needs fulfilled. And I think at that time, that was maybe the persona that I was trying to put out to the world, that I was this upbeat, adventure seeking personality. Um, and so I was kind of mm -hmm. drawn to that number when I took the quiz. Um, years later, I did more reading on the Enneagram. And that's when I realized that I was actually a type four, um, which is the type that um, is trying to find themselves and their identity and their significance in the world um, and is um, full of lots of different emotions and, and not afraid to, to feel all of those emotions. <laughs> um, so I think that when I found my true type is when I really connected with the, the Enneagram more deeply and started learning um, more about how others perceive me and, and how I related to others and how I could better um, be in community with others and um, started being aware of my, my reactions more um, that maybe were under the surface or my motivations that I didn't notice um, in the past. So that's when I really started seeing the value of the Enneagram is when it became something that... Um, kind of popped up into my day-to-day -day thoughts and, and made me reevaluate situations I was in and, and who I was in those situations. That's really helpful, Joseph. I think too, with, with any tool that you're using um, for personal growth, it's the ability of that tool to help you think about it during the day. And, and as you're kind of going on autopilot or, or acting in well-worn patterns and ways, that yeah. you write something like the Enneagram can help you just be alert to that to maybe make a different decision. And I, I was really know. focused on my on myself with that uh, description, but I was living in an intentional community um, <laughs> through an AmeriCorps type program at that time. And so it was really helpful as my roommates and I all got to know the Enneagram together that we could understand each other's motivations. And it made us, um, it made it much easier to live with you know, six different people when you could understand, oh, like this is kind of where they're coming from when they act that way, or, or this is maybe what their priorities are more than, um, more than this, my priorities. So um, for me, that was, I think, why it became so useful in that, that one year was that I was navigating, um, living with all these people I didn't know, and we had to come together as a community, and that was a great, a great tool for doing that. Yeah, that's a really good point, too, just in terms of, I think it's something in all walks of life that we're constantly struggling with and that the world could just use more of, is that level of compassion that you're kind of describing, <laughs> of <laughs> understanding that people have different motivations um, and hopefully giving them the benefit of the doubt to some of that. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of that going on these days where we just assume that if someone disagrees with us, it's because they're an idiot or yeah. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, Elizabeth, what, what about for you though? Where, where's the Enneagram been useful, helpful in your life in these last six years or so that you've been working with it? 
Yeah, I think first just saying, making the point, I don't think we've clearly said this yet, but the Enneagram, another thing that kind of makes it distinct is that it really looks at our motivating factors that the things that motivate our behaviors. Sometimes it's a childhood wound or something that's happened in the past that shapes this, but it's not the external behaviors. It's, it's what's behind that. And then it's what's behind that. And then it's what's behind that. And so that, that has been a really helpful journey for me to just like continue to unpack why I do what I do (laughs) and why I am the way I am. I, um, for a while, I wasn't sure if I was a six or a nine um, on the Enneagram. And co- after understanding more of it, it, that's a very common kind of linkage because a six can look like a nine when healthy and a nine can look like a six when unhealthy. And so I really kind of exist on this spectrum between the six and nine, um, kind of when <coughs> when stressed, moving in more towards the six, um, and when at ease moving more towards the nine. Um, and the other thing I really like, similar to what Joseph was saying, is just that it is a, it's a tool for self-discovery and bringing more awareness to those kind of autopilot behaviors and understanding what comes before those autopilot behaviors, like what's, what's the stimulus before that reaction. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's also, a, it's a relational tool. It, it's helpful not to type other people but to understand what's behind their behaviors, what's the the trigger that's causing that reaction, where and and just kind of having that space between, as I talked about in the last podcast I was on, um, that's the space between the stimulus and response, and really broadening that space and examining how we're how our behaviors are reactive and. But- very good callback, Elizabeth. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> this is a big, this, this is a very important part of my own development. So it comes up. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was a good I, episode. So everyone should go back and listen to that <laughs> after this, if you haven't Thanks, already. Thanks, Joseph. <laughs> Thanks, Joseph. That's absolutely true. It was a good episode. Yeah. I'm sure so- all your episodes are good, but that's the one I've, I've listened to. <laughs> the one that was shared with me. <laughs> I mean, the, what you're talking about too there, Elizabeth, the, yeah, the space between stimulus and response, uh, but also recognizing, I, I just love that I'm really picking up this year on the compassion piece again, mm-hmm. just because it feels like there's so little of that in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it's helped me too, is to just, I would so often write people off or look down on folks, um, particular, especially when I couldn't understand their personality patterns um mm-hmm. when they just acted so drastically differently than for instance elizabeth the family we grew up in yeah um it'd just be like no this is wrong this is crazy <laughs> uh, but, which isn't helpful but to recognize like no people have different lived experiences than you mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. leads them to moving and you know being in the world in different ways and so to for me to just kind of have some language to it and to start to recognize like you know what they might be an eight, which means they're going to be super aggressive. And that's because they're motivated by this, that, or the other thing. But just to, to give people also that benefit of the doubt for me personally, that's where the Enneagram has been really helpful. Cause I think I, I could be a little judgmental before discovering it. Um, you know, just because I wasn't familiar with some of the different ways people move and be in the world. Um, so one of the things I wanted to touch on, um, is the, the spiritual component to all of this. 
Um, and wondering if either of you would, would feel comfortable talking about that a little bit, because it, it has been used um, certainly in a lot of church settings. Um, one of the podcasts that we love to listen to about the Enneagram feels like they bring on a pastor every other week, um, <laughs> which is one of the things that is also frustrating about that podcast. But um, like, there does seem to be a real tie to it. And, and I think that that would be important for some of the listeners to hear as well, because um, oftentimes... Um, you know, personality patterns or horoscopes, right? Like people can get a little uncomfortable with that. So um, Elizabeth, I know you have at least some thoughts about this uh, as someone kind of looking to do some spiritual direction in the future. Um, how might you use the Enneagram as a tool in those spheres? How does it connect with spirituality? Go ahead. Yeah, I, for me, I think understanding, um, so understanding your own behaviors um, and that being just a product of who you are in the world. But by understanding and unpacking those behaviors that are kind of happening on autopilot, for me, it, it allows you to kind of see that there is a, there's a deeper aspect of you. Some Enneagram teachers call it the essence. Um, you might call it your soul, your spirit, but kind of like separating out the behaviors that you maybe don't like about yourself or don't feel great or make you feel like, um, I don't know, that, that, you, that you might just kind of like be down on yourself for, separating that from the essence of who you are and that spiritual life and your connection with the divine um, in that spiritual essence. It's beyond the way you present in the world. It's beyond um, your behaviors. Um, and it really allows for me a deeper grounding in my relationship with God and my relationship with the world around me to, to feel that, that um, wholeness beneath the personality. Ah, well said, well said. Uh, Joseph, anything to add or any of your own personal experiences with this? Uh, no, I think, I think she really covered that. That's, that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I, for for me, the on a similar bent, Elizabeth, uh, I really like. Well, well, the I really think there's a need to reclaim the holiness of human interaction, mm. and to recognize that you know the the world seems to be constructed in a relational way. Uh, yes, in the ways that we relate to nature and nature relates to us, like all of that. But in particular, as we're talking about something like the Enneagram, just to recognize that we were created to be in community and in relationship mm -hmm. with other people. I just believe that firmly that God put some sort of seed within us that wants to share life with other people. Uh, mm -hmm. And the Enneagram can really help facilitate that you know as you talked about with the symbol it, it's it's designed in such a way to show the interaction to show the movement and the fluidity of relationships and the ways that people um, carry themselves in the world and so there's just a big piece of that for me if I can better understand myself and mm -hmm. if I can better understand my fellow human beings that I think I'm getting a little bit closer to how you know God's hope for the world, uh, and how God hopes for us to to share life together, and, and you know, and and bringing out the compassion piece that I keep harping upon as well. That all seems to fit within uh, my understanding of what Jesus was trying to go for and facilitate with His ministry and work. So, so in so many ways, I just think it's a valuable tool, and I think anytime, frankly, that you take the time to um, 
try and work on yourself and, and mm-hmm. do, you know, personal growth and, and self-help. Like mm-hmm. anytime you try to better understand who you are, that that's a holy and spiritual practice in and of mm-hmm. itself. Just because if we believe that we were created by a divine being, um, then in some way, shape or form, there's something good about learning more about the person you were created to be. So anyways, there's my, there's my rambly sermon. I don't, <laughs> were you going to say something in response? I was just going to, just making me think like, for those interested in shadow work, I think the Enneagram is a great, like at least foot in the door to a tool to starting to uncover some of that shadow work, which I know is another um, spiritual practice for some people. Will you please say more about what you mean when you say shadow work? So shadow work is kind of like facing um, one Enneagram teacher I've encountered has called like making the darkness conscious. So kind of facing some of the aspects of ourselves that we might not love. Um, but the idea behind it is to embrace all parts of ourselves because God loves us exactly as we are for all parts of who we are. Um, and so really making that real for, in our own lives to embrace all parts yeah. of us. No, and mm-hmm. you're, that's another great point about the Enneagram itself is that it can there's a sense of, at least for me, there was a sense of um, security to it. To, in, in just like, yeah, this is who I am. And I know <laughs> that these parts aren't perfect, but like, it's just nice to know that I land somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's there's ways to work with the more gnarly parts of my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that other people are going through a similar thing. What I heard yeah. both of you say that I kind of relate to is, um, so I, I grew up Lutheran. I'm not practicing Lutheran anymore, but I think the Enneagram is a way for me to lean into those Lutheran values, even if I'm not um, huh. spiritually connected to the Lutheran church. And you know, I, I maintain those Lutheran values and carry them with me. And I think what I'm hearing you to say is um, feeling, feeling um, like you can radically accept others um, mm. with empathy and compassion and, and and do the same for yourself because i think that's something Mm -hmm. that is um a big part of the lutheran church is understanding that like we are all accepted by um and we were all part of jesus message um and Mm -hmm. it's not just about others but about accepting ourselves and and having faith in our own salvation as well well said joseph thanks for that Well, let's do um, any, before we get to, I wanted to do a quick rundown of the different types, just to give people a sense of it. Anything more that either of you wanted to add before we got into a rundown of the the nine different types? Um, I just want to say Instagram is full of fun <laughs> memes um, <laughs> that are definitely caricatures of the, the nine types. And so I, if you start thinking about the Enneagram, you're going to start seeing that stuff stuff pop up and, and noticing it. And it's fun to look at those caricatures, but just remember it goes a lot deeper than just the, mm-hmm. the tagline of, you know, what a, what a type looks like. Right. <laughs> just, Good point. <laughs> yep. Just like and you should so get us your doing news. This, I think we're going to be, yeah. we're going to be giving kind of a caricature of each type. And, exactly. And there's no way to avoid that when you're trying to give a rundown, but, um, <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah. just to be aware of it 
Just like if you're getting your news or your theology from memes, like that's <laughs> so it's a start, but you got to dig a little deeper than that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Although I've made some really good memes in my day. Oh gosh. Anyways, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's run through, let's run through these types and um, probably so the, it, they usually start with type nine, don't they? Eight. Or eight. Yeah. Type eight, nine, eight. One. Yeah. Um, and so part of that is because uh, the Enneagram is broken into these different triads. We won't get into that fully, but it's really fascinating mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when you start to dig deeper. This is one of the parts that I've loved a lot lately. Um, and so the, the triads are three groups of numbers. Eight, nine, and one are in the gut triad. Two, three, and four are in the heart triad. And then five, six, and seven are in the head triad. And so what I've found just on a personal level to be really valuable is to constantly be thinking about, like, especially when I'm designing things for, for ministry work, for church stuff, is, is how can I create programming that really speaks to people's guts, heads, and hearts, and not just one of those. I tend to be more of a head person on some of these things, or um, in, and that's a complicated uh, answer to things because I should be a hard person, but it's a long story. But anyways, right? Like I tend to just do a lot of ministry stuff like, oh, that's an interesting idea. You know, I'll do a Bible study about that and recognizing that's really only going to capture and engage, you know, one small scope of people. And so when I can try and open it up to include ways that we speak to the, you know, individuals' bodies or their emotions, as well as their heads, that that can be really valuable. So before we even get into the numbers, Joseph, Elizabeth, anything to add about the triads that I might have missed there? Well, there's so much you can say about the triads. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I would just invite listeners, if they're new to the Enneagram, sometimes the triads are a good kind of starting point to help you begin to narrow in on your number. So like thinking about, in general, do you tend to make decisions like logically working them out with your mind, then you might want to start with the head triad. If you feel like you're more like whatever your gut tells you, you have a gut reaction to things, then maybe start with eight, nine, one. Um, And then, or the emotional triad, if you feel like you're really swayed by your emotions um, in your day-to-day life, then maybe look at the heart triad. But as Nate alluded to, it does get a lot more nuanced than that, but it, 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 it can be a a helpful starting point. Well then, Joseph, will you start us off by talking about the first number in the gut triad, which is number eight? All right, type eight is probably my favorite type to think about after my own because that's my partner's type. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time thinking about what are his motivations and why is he acting this way and um, and how can I love him better? So, um, <laughs> So type eights, um, they believe that you must be strong and powerful to, um, to assure protection and regard in a tough world. Um, so I often hear my partner talking about the, the adversity in the world and like in the day-to-day things that he's saying, which I don't really view the world through that lens. So it's always surprising to me to hear it that way, but it helps to understand, um, oh, that, like that's why... Um, he's so driven and and feels so um, motivated to to make change in this world and um, and to be a leader. Um, so the type eight, they are definitely seen as leaders. A lot of times, 
Um, they have a, um, a history of having like a, a masculine caricature. So, um, so for female aides, it can be um, really helpful to, to learn about the Enneagram because maybe female aides haven't been as, as accepted in our, in our society. And, and, um, and the, this can be a, a helpful place to see like, okay, there's, there's others like me and, and this is why I am the way I am. Um, for every type we have that, but um, yeah, but I think an eight is someone who you might know who is very direct and forthright, um, who can be really steady and present when they're in conflict and they're not really afraid of confrontation. They'll, they'll hold their ground and they, they'll respect if you hold your ground. Um, they like authenticity and, and there's definitely a tender side to them as well. So that's just the start to the eight. <laughs> Anything you, to add? Yeah. Would you say I'd always I always think of eights and, and the eights in my life as being people who who tend to just be very decisive and and mm-hmm. almost it, and, and very confident in their decision making, too. And so it can kind of come across as they, it feels like they might be like black and white thinkers of just like, no, no, this is right. This is the way to do things. I don't feel like that's a generous enough way of terming it. Um, but in my experience, they always um, seem to just be like, look, this is how we're going to do it. You know, trust me, this is, I know this is the way it's going to work. Boom. Let's go. Yeah. I think that you mentioned earlier, the, the gut type, the eight is the, in the triad of the, they're the ones that really trust their gut the most. Um, yes. And we'll just, and we'll go with their gut. And I think part of that is that they've grown confident that their gut leads them in the right direction because they've tried it out so often um and and they have um and it's been a good strategy for them throughout their life so um yeah so i I would say that it can come across as maybe black and white thinking but um but they like i said earlier they respect others who hold their own so if you don't see things the same way um make sure that you let them know that and you're authentic to to what you're feeling in that moment as well. Has that been helpful with your partner? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we um, both okay. really value authenticity like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth, anything to add? Um, no, I think Joseph did a great job. Well, in that case, <laughs> tell us about number one. You mean nine? <laughs> she's got to take type nine (laughs) yeah similar to joseph my partner is a nine so i think about nines a lot and i also move towards nine so nines um are generally they are often called the peacemaker their their general motivation is to have a sense of inner stability or peace of mind and so they tend to be pretty, they come across as maybe like mellow people. One thing I know my partner is really good at is just meeting people exactly where they're at, having empathy for different perspectives, um, really being able to put himself into others' shoes and understand their perspective. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean he changes his perspective, but he's really good at just like understanding where people are coming from and allowing that space for them to be who they are. Um, The basic fear of the nine is kind of being disconnected. And so in some ways, this ability to see things from others' perspective is a way of connecting with others and creating sort of 
communities, um, bringing people together in that way. Um, and one, a, a challenge for the nine is that this idea of inertia. Sometimes it can be, I don't want to say lazy, but um, nines can be slow to action at times. Um, and it, they often talk about the law of inertia where like once a nine gets started, they can kind of keep moving, but that initial start to step into action can kind of sometimes take some time just because they're, they're committed to keeping that peace of mind and that inner stability. Mm, good. Well, I think I like the way that you, yeah, tied that back around to their motivation being mm -hmm. what causes this little difficulty. Mm hmm yeah, I one of my favorite stories about nines is that I know a couple that I'm pretty sure they are both nines and they went to the store to buy a winter coat and they were gone for six hours. <laughs> they did not buy a winter coat. <laughs> that inertia. <laughs> you would have thought that they got going, but no, yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. indecisive, very worried about the consequences of their decisions. <laughs> is this the right one? Da 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 da. Um but nines are also just like lovely welcoming people I found too, because you were saying like they can see other perspectives. So they're pretty good at kind of, uh, you know, like community can kind of form around them. Everyone feels at ease in a nine's presence most of the time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I think about, I think about Dan, Elizabeth, your, your husband and you know, it just feels like everyone in our family is like, yeah, Dan's great. Like we love being around Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the nine is a person who everyone everyone knows a nine who they, they really love and feel comfortable <laughs> around, I think. All right. Um, well, then I'll I'll do number two. Um, one. You keep saying one. Oh, gosh. Oh, and I should do number one because my partner is the one. This worked out really well. We shut this up, right? This is how we planned it. Yes, a one. Ones are really interesting because I feel like there's two very distinct subsets to a one. Um, so the, the, like the typical way you understand a one oftentimes is as a perfectionist, the person who wants to be good and right and worthy, um, someone who you know, always tries to do things the right way, a real rule follower, very consistent um, and responsible and conscientious, all those good words that you think of, um, but that can get really locked in as well to things have to be done the right way. Just, you know, as we know, perfectionists can sometimes drive themselves crazy. Um, but the other side to the one as well is um, a need to see things as better, um, like to, to reform things so that they're more in line, which is very much so where my wife kind of falls in the, in the one spectrum, if you will, is that she um, is definitely a rule follower in a lot of ways, except when she doesn't think a rule is logical. <laughs> and, and if she, you know, looks at a rule is like, that's stupid. Why would you do it that way, you know, and, and wants to see it made right and made better um, and, and, you know, just more in line with this way of seeing the world. Uh, the other and interesting... a type one might want to a type one might want to actually change the rule, not just break it, but like work on the system that created the rule. Absolutely. <laughs> the other thing is I have a real hunch that my oldest daughter is skewing into the one zone. Um, one thing we should say about the Enneagram is it's not, it's often not helpful to really settle in on a type until later on in life. And so not to especially put your children into a box. However, um, my daughter, Evelyn, will 
like like cannot allow her brother to say something that is incorrect <laughs> physically cannot stop herself even as we're sitting there being like evelyn let it go stop she will keep talking over us as we're telling her to stop <laughs> to be like solomon that's not true it didn't happen that way in harry potter it's only like that in the book it's not like that in the movie or whatever <laughs> um this literally happened at dinner last night uh, but she just gets so fixated on hearing something that's wrong um, that's not how she knows the world to be, um, that she has to correct it. This, this like strong impulse uh, to do it. So that, that's also- I have to view Hermione Granger as a, as a represent, <laughs> representative of type one. <laughs> yeah, Hermione's a great example of the type one because she also did the reforming thing too. Anyways, we, we now we're skewing towards our other level. <laughs> <laughs> Um, either of you, anything else to add on ones? Um, just that on the high side of one. So I'm a type four and my, um, one of my arrows points towards one. And that's a time where I can really try to see things more objectively and be more, um, more driven and, and productive. Um, so Sometimes it can be described as black and white thinking, but I also think for other types, we can lean on a type one to give more objective thinking at times as well. Mm -hmm. hmm. Good, okay. Um, Joseph, will you talk about um, type two? I've got it right this time. Sure, yeah. Type two is where my other arrow points. Um, so type two is why I might, I might take on some of the type two qualities um, when I'm under stress and, and trying to take more tools out of the out of the tool belt to get through that stress. So um, type two, their focus of attention is on others' needs and others' feelings and others' desires. Um, and they they really see themselves as a person who's going to to earn love by helping us fulfill others' needs. Mm -hmm. um, so they might, focus less on their own needs or be less in tune with their own needs because of that. Um, so to outsiders, you know, the helpful, caring, supportive, relationship-oriented um, people in our lives. Um, but they, um, I think a challenge for them is depending on the, the approval of others. Um, and so that's something that I think a lot of twos are, are working on when they uh, learn about the Enneagram. Um, and a type two, again, not, not just that they're, they not, don't always know their own needs, but when they do, they might have a hard time expressing those needs to others. Like they, they view others' needs as, as more important than their own. Um, and on the flip side of that, they can, um, they're good. They're good at manipulating how others see them and how they present themselves to others. Um, so they can, um, keep those happy connections with others, um, but maybe in a, in a different way than what we talked about with type nine. Yeah, with twos, the twos I know are invaluable to have on your team because they just want to help <laughs> and, you know, just like do the behind the scenes work and just make stuff happen. Um, but it's also just a really interesting um, space to be in, especially when you get to know that person a little more. I always feel really, you know, sad for them because they're, they work so hard on trying to always be helpful and never really take time for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What's yeah, the anything to add? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like twos um, don't want to admit that they have any needs and just constantly um, focus on other people. And as you can imagine, that can be detrimental if it's not uh, balanced out in the end. Um, yeah, but I think it has, there's kind of an underlying belief that my needs are uh, negative and will harm other people if they're exposed. Um, mm. Good. Well, I should probably do the next one. Um, <laughs> I know it's technically Elizabeth's turn, but a type three is where I identify on the Enneagram. And that's been a long journey for me, which is also, um, I think, really instructive. So when I first took the test, I thought I was a seven for a period of time, Both of uh, you. much like Joseph, because I think <laughs> I wanted to be the seven. when we get to it, the seven sounds like, oh, that's the fun, loving, adventurous, um, you know, really easygoing person. And so I think there was a part of me that wanted to have everyone see me in that way. And then and when I was 15, I wanted people to see me just like they saw Nate. (laughs) (laughs) What a a misguided viewpoint. Um, So then I thought I was a two for a time as well. Um, And I definitely have some of that within me, um, particularly the part that I think really captured me about the two is, as, as we described, a two is very other focused in the sense of thinking about what others want or need. And so I thought, you know, there were a lot of times in my life at that point in time where I really tried to step up to be helpful. And so I'm like, oh, I'm helpful. I'm a two. Um, but realizing as I got down, you know, as I was more honest with myself and kind of got down to the core of it, I am very much a type three. And the, the type three really... Um, is focused on being admired. I think that's kind of like the core motivation for a type three, if I had to put it on something. And so as you look at all these other ones, right, all of it was just so focused on what do other people think about me? Um, And now how can I try and fit the mold for that? And so threes tend to be um, individuals that are um, really image driven, uh, wanting to work hard and look good, seeking the approval of others, um, and constantly looking for, for affirmation. Um, threes tend to be very motivated by goals and tasks and recognition of their accomplishments. And so all of this really fits in um, with my way of being in the world. And it's, it's, it's a constant struggle for me too in using the Enneagram because it can be this tool that I then just turn into feeding my three tendencies being like, oh, the Enneagram is just going to make me better. Um, and as I've admitted before on this podcast, um, like I've read so many self-help books just because I'm like, oh, I want to find the secret so that I can be better and more accomplished and more successful. Uh, and that, you know, that can lead you to some really not great places um, for your mental health. And, um, and also kind of leaves you in a place too where you're a social chameleon. Um, and I've noticed that about myself too, is that I'm very adaptable as a three and I can kind of fit in a lot of different spheres, which as a pastor is an extremely helpful character trait, but then can also kind of leave me wondering like, okay, but who am I at my core? You know, what, what's the, the authentic Nate um, that people get to know and connect with, not just the one that I think they want me to see. So that's a lot of where a three's at. Um, Elizabeth and Joseph, without being too mean, um, anything more to add about a three? 
Or can, can you just tell me I did a really good job? <laughs> you are awesome, Nate. I, I'm admiring you. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, I just think a three. Crazy? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned looking like a seven, looking like a two at different points. I think a three, um, depending on what community they're in, they're going to look very different. So it's really getting down to that core motivation to understand if you're a three or not, because a lot of the types are driven and, and want to succeed. Um, but a three is going to want to do so in, in a way that reflects the people around them, what they're going to, going to admire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, definitely... I think, <laughs> yeah. Yes, keep going, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, just the the kind of, I think, the basic motivation of a three, maybe, Nate, you can say whether or not you think this is true. But it's, it's not necessarily to be admired, but the fear is of being, like, worthless or deficient and wanting mm-hmm. to have that, be seen to have that value. Um, yeah, and I think similar to a two, sometimes uh, both twos and threes can fall into that kind of... Uh, not manipulation, but that um, adapting to the people around them to be seen in a certain way to be perceived. Right. Yeah. To, to meet the needs of others without checking in with your own needs and mm-hmm. motivations. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, yeah, like threes can be real workaholics, not very good at resting. Um, that's been a real valuable growth piece that the Enneagram has brought to me is that like, wait, I don't have to constantly be go go going and in fact i'll be more content and grounded if i can make sure i carve out the time for rest or things that um mm-hmm. refuel me stuff like that um wait way too much time on my number oh my gosh i'm feeling really <laughs> self-conscious joseph you're type four no i'm gonna need that. elizabeth to take type four what? <laughs> <laughs> i can't talk about <laughs> i'm just thinking it if i try to I trust that you love me. <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. Um, Nate, feel free to chime in. Mm-hmm. So a four is, um, they are often called the individualist or the romantic. And I think the, the motivating um, thing for a four is having finding a sense of meaning um whether that's a sense of identity within themselves or a sense of meaning in the world around them there's really this drive for um like yeah finding the the uniqueness of life in general um and that can manifest differently for different fours it can be kind of um finding eccentric ways of expressing themselves for some um fours are often very artistic extremely creative joseph is the most creative person i know (laughs) um i can vouch for that yeah (laughs) um just like super (laughs) super um yeah just unique ways of looking at the world and understanding the world that really add a lot to those around them as well um and just kind of calling attention to the beauty in the world um and where that can then yeah. elizabeth kind of like cause some difficulty too is that fours kind of live in a space of wondering what's missing a lot of the time too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know they're, they're very good at 
thinking outside the box and, and finding ways to make something unique and special and interesting and creative. And yet in the same sense, that can have a real negative swing to it as well, where they're never fully kind of like satisfied with what's currently going on. Um, mm -hmm. That's a, probably a little harsh, Joseph. Um, <laughs> but yeah, on the negative side of things. The other thing too uh, that I found is that for us, um, the Enneagram for a four, they often approach it initially thinking like, this is garbage. How can any sort of system possibly <laughs> understand the fullness that is me? And then when they read the type four entry, they get weepy. because like, I never felt so seen in my life. Um, that was the literal, uh, I have a, I won't name the individual, but there was a person in my life who I knew she was a four and she was very skeptical when we were talking about the Enneagram. And then when she read the four chapter, she was brought to tears. <laughs> yeah, I'll say I just, um, so I, we, I think all three of us subscribe to um, the Ennea thought of the day, which is something that the Enneagram Institute sends out. And you can, once you know your number, subscribe and they'll send you just a little like daily reminder or, you know, something to think about. And mine today was that as a child, type four never saw themselves reflected in either, um, in either parent figure in their life. And I really liked how that was put. I mean, for me, I think um, as a child growing up gay, I didn't really see myself aligning with like normal gender um, expectations or just having the life that my parents envisioned for me not that they wouldn't be accepting once they knew which they were but I didn't think that you know it wasn't what they had envisioned for me so I, I just didn't see myself reflected in, in either of them in that way mm. um, and so I think part of that it, what it leads to in my behaviors now is needing people to understand me like the people who are close to me I don't not necessarily strangers but the people who are close to me so I can get stuck in these ruts where like if I'm in conflict with someone, I just like, I, I need them to understand my perspective perfectly <laughs> um, and to understand me really. So, um, and so that's, I think something that I work on as a, as a four or I'm working on lately. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of pressure, Joseph, because don't you also at the same time feel like no one could ever possibly fully understand what you're feeling? <laughs> but I'll try. <laughs> I'll try to get them there. <laughs> and I think that's why a lot of fours might be drawn to, not that all fours are, but might be drawn to the arts um, because it's a way to express themselves that doesn't have to be so, so literal and word for word. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like for me, that I think comes out, I'm not artistic or musical, um, but I like... Um, creating like a fantasy world, fantasy story. So um, I think in writing, I can kind of express myself in these, you know, mm -hmm. indirect ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Let's move on to five. Uh, I can take this one and well, we can all chime in like we did on that last one. <laughs> um, fives tend to be very intellectual in their understanding. We're moving now into the head triad. We should have mentioned that two, three, and four are all in the heart triad. And you mm -hmm. kind of get how emotion plays a key role in twos 
and threes in particular wanting to really care about what other people think or feel and, and fours being very focused on their emotions and helping people understand them. Anything more to add about that, that, that heart triad, actually? I don't want to gloss over that. No. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> and so then five. Um, five moves into the head triad and five tends to be very um, scientific, very analytical, um, wanting to accumulate lots of knowledge. This is the type of person who upon, you know, hearing about the Enneagram goes out and reads all of the books about the Enneagram right away, just very much so wanting to try and um, get it all in their head and understand things in a very intellectual kind of way. Um, so go ahead, Joseph or Elizabeth, feel free to jump in. I, I would say like the core motivation is just being competent. They, mm -hmm. right, they want to very much so appear as if they um, have it all together. They know how things work, you know, very content focused. Yeah, it's oftentimes fives can become kind of like isolated because they just want to consume information. And it's almost like it's a, their basic fear is of not understanding, of not being able to understand. Um, and so sometimes they, there is a caricature of fives as being kind of reclusive um, <coughs> sort of hermits that just feel more comfortable with um, the intellectual rather than the relational. Well, that's not, that doesn't mean fives can't be in relationship, but that does tend to be a sort of correlation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And which is why we don't have a lot to say about them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> We don't know about them. <laughs> they haven't told us. No, I will say, um, I think fives, so I have a, a really good friend. And I think it can be the most interesting people to have in your life because they're going to know um, mm. a lot about the topics that they do know about. They know a lot about those topics and will go really, really deep, which for me is really satisfying to have those those really deep conversations and and to hear more of the the logic behind those those um, topics rather than just like how I feel about those topics, mm -hmm. um, it can be really interesting and beneficial. Um, and I think that fives can be really calm um, in a crisis. Spent time um, preparing, um, kind of like we're we're going to talk about type six soon, but um, they. They're not going to be really hot-headed in those situations. So they're really um, a good person to have around in, in times like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, then, let's move on to type six since you referenced it. Uh, Elizabeth, as the resident type six, would I you... think oh, I'm going to pull a Joseph and let you guys talk about <laughs> me first. <laughs> yeah, so, so... <laughs> go ahead, Joseph. Type four, we get this caricature of us that we're like overly emotional at all times, which, you know, I think type four is, we like all emotions, the good ones and the bad ones. Type six gets that caricature that they're, um, that they're overly fearful. Um, but I think if we could reframe that, it's that they're, they're over, they're overthinkers at all times. And, and maybe part of that motivation is fear-based, but I think a six is going to have um, one of the best minds for for questioning things in really interesting ways, um, and for thinking about all different um, all different 
I'm trying to think of the when I think of when I think of Elizabeth here, um, she's always <laughs> asking some really like thought provoking questions. And I think she's even more interested sometimes in the questions than in finding an answer and, and thinking about like pos possible answers um, mm -hmm. and thinking about all the all the possibilities and the what ifs and the um, so for me who who really likes imagination, um, Elizabeth is my favorite person to talk to because of that <laughs> because I think she has that imagination and is always questioning um, in good ways, not not just in fearful ways. <laughs> Well, and the way Elizabeth would term it, which I think is a very valuable way, is that to understand the type six is she would say that a type six has a committee in their mm -hmm. head that they kind of consult with to look at a lot of different yeah, questions, angles, <laughs> possibilities. True story in Elizabeth's wedding vows that she gave <laughs> nay two weeks ago, she <laughs> talked about how she appreciated her now spouse accepting the committee in her head. <laughs> um, which I knew where that all came from, but which definitely uh, got some looks from my parents and others. But that's, that's okay. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, sixes tend to be also um, very loyal and very mm -hmm. uh, warm and welcoming and accepting, just that same sense of ease to be around, kind of, which is why the six and nine, I think, can get a little confused too, is they both have that a lot of the time. You just, you feel accepted with a six um, maybe because they tend to be able to see a lot of different angles and have some pretty good compassion for where people are coming from um, just being sensitive to where others are uh, but uh, Elizabeth will you talk a little more about the whole loyalty thing because oftentimes the six is called the loyalist and I just I'm even still a little confused as to where that comes from and how that gets lived out um, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> I, <clears throat> I guess I've kind of struggled with the loyalty thing. But then when I look back on my life, it's like, if I am in, if I have felt like I've gained the trust of someone, because trust is a real issue for sixes. Tr sixes have a lot of difficulty trusting themselves. Um, and this kind of vigilance that they approach the world with is really rooted in a lack of trust in them, their own being in the world themselves and being able to rely on themselves. And so as a result, I think what I see is like relationships become super important to sixes because that's kind of like their, their tethers when they can't trust themselves, they can lean on other people. And so when I have felt like I've, someone has gained my trust, then I do not want to ever break that trust. That that person, that that's mm. where the loyalty comes for me. Yeah. Like I don't ever want that person out of my life because they have seen me for who I am and I can rely on them when I'm not able to rely on myself. That yeah, and I think too about how, I, I would say a six's motivation tends to be security, right? Like wanting to mm -hmm. feel secure. And so yep. that would make sense that if someone has gained your trust, that you'll mm -hmm. then be very loyal to them because they make you feel secure. You want to hang on to that security. And then we mm -hmm. also see, right, like the negative side of wanting to be secure in the sense that you ask lots of questions and, you know, <laughs> can be a little anxious about, is this the right decision? Am I making the right decision? Is everyone going to mm -hmm. be, you know, like, what are all the, the worst case scenarios to go along with it? Yeah. And I think the, that vigilance, that same vigilance, um, like the, the, the loyalty isn't always a good thing. Like sometimes it's almost like a fear of changing what you've always known. 
-hmm. And so like, sometimes I might be really loyal to an employer when maybe I shouldn't be, but it's like too scary to rock the boat and change jobs because I already know what to predict at this employer. That hasn't actually happened to me personally, but that's just kind of an example of how that loyalty can be. Right. And just in case anyone from your work and, is listening, and, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and can lead to inner conflict, like with that, the committee and the sixes, if one of them is their their nurturing figure, like is their protective figure, maybe their mom or their dad, um, mm-hmm. one of them is their boss, one of them is their friend, and then they're mm-hmm. trying to make a decision as a six, and they're <laughs> consulting that, not everyone in that committee is going to have the same... Um, uh, imaginary advice for the six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So then, who is the six loyal to when making a decision and mm-hmm. um, and and pic- picturing all the actions to their decision? Yep. Nice. Well said. <laughs> well, let's now tackle this last number, number seven, which I think is just such a oh, it's one of my favorites because it's so fascinating. Um, and <laughs> I, like I said, I thought I was a seven for a period of time and had no idea. Um, what that even entailed um, and, and so it's just been one of those numbers that I've learned a lot about um, but yeah uh, Elizabeth since you didn't get to talk about six why don't you start with seven sure so seven as we've kind of touched on earlier can be seen as like super enthusiastic someone that's like yeah let's do it let's go let's what's the next best thing um often sevens might talk about FOMO fear of missing out they just want to be a part of everything that's going on uh and really with the seven it's kind of rooted in uh an avoidance of pain um or sometimes boredom but those can feel the same to a seven boredom or pain um and so it's it's really (laughs) running away from that kind of um the, the negative negatives of life in some ways um which can lead to a really fun life <laughs> if you're always <laughs> running away <from> right <laughs> um but yeah um just th- there's a fear that the negative feelings will kind of like burn up the joy um and not allow us to have uh, allow me to have joy yeah and i'm glad you said that because that was the <laughs> real the part that i never understood when i pretended to be a seven <laughs> and the part that I now find just, just almost tragic too, um, mm-hmm. in that the the thing I've found with a lot of sevens is it's so hard to ever get to a space with them where you feel like you're talking about something real. Mm, the vulnerability. You know, it, yeah. yeah it, because they're always so quickly going, you know, what's the next fun thing that we're going to do? What's the next adventure mm-hmm. that we're going to go on? that you never get down below and, and coming to realize and see that so much of that comes from some real deep pain too. Yeah. Oftentimes sevens have something that they're really trying to avoid, um, mm-hmm. not have to deal with those messy emotions and just have, you know, fun and excitement and adventures all the time. Mm-hmm. Joseph, feel free to chime in. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think. I've, I think that is something that sevens are, when they're in the Enneagram that they need to, um, to look at is how to um, be committed to examining those, those negative feelings. Um, it's hard. They're, they're the hardest type for me to understand as a four, even though I once thought I was a seven <laughs> and sevens and fours are often mistaken for each other as, as children, which is really interesting. Um, 
but yeah, I, type sevens, if you are listening, call into this <laughs> podcast, tell us more about yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's good. Um, a good place to kind of wrap up and stop. We've made it through all nine types. And again, it's, it's fluid and it's a movement and there's even more that you can dig into as I kind of referenced with the one there tends to be different expressions um, of even mm-hmm. the individual types themselves. We don't need to get mm-hmm. into all of that, but there's a whole, right, a whole fascinating sub layer um, where you can kind of break down each type into three subtypes. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get into all of that, um, but hopefully there's something here that piqued your interest. Uh, and we would be happy to talk to you more about that or point you in the right direction. If you email me, nate at bethany-denver.org, I'll be happy to send you all sorts of resources or set up a time to talk with you more about all of this. Um, Joseph and Elizabeth, any closing thoughts or things you wanted to say before we sign off here? If you liked this, go listen to our favorite podcast about the Enneagram, <laughs> which is called The Enneagram Journey with Suzanne Stabile. She's mm-hmm. the godmother of the Enneagram. She's um, really involved with the church as well as Nate mentioned earlier. Um, but she's just a great source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I would second that. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, with that, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Joseph, thanks for being here. Elizabeth, thanks for, having thanks us for coming back. Uh, we sh- we'll do a Harry Potter podcast sometime soon, I promise. <laughs> yes! <laughs> we'll find a way to make it work. Um, but to all of you who listen, thanks for taking the time. I hope uh, you got some new uh, information. There's just so much wisdom to unpack with this. It's a really wonderful tool. I hope you explore and check out. Feel free to be in touch if you've got any questions. Stay in peace, everyone. <laughs>